everyone, and welcome to GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I'm your host, Emily Hutchinson. And I am the co-host today. My name is Yiman Chen. And we are here with Brooke Bassard. Thank you so much for being here, Brooke. Thanks for having me. I wondered if you could tell us about what you did your PhD on. Like, what, what field were you in? What did you do? I completed my PhD in the Department of Religious Studies at the University of Waterloo. The program title is Religious Diversity in North America. Uh, it's, it's really a, a pretty general religious studies department, which means it's the academic study of religion. Um, pretty interdisciplinary. So I look at religion through a historical lens, um, really focused more on the 19th and 20th century uh, history of religion in Canada and new religious movements. But my colleagues uh, adopt different lenses than me, uh, sociological, anthropological, philosophical, uh, etc. So it's a pretty interdisciplinary department, but our focus is North America. Uh, they would say it's more contemporary, but I would push that uh, to argue contemporary for them means 19th century to the present present day um, and definitely with a geographic focus spanning Canada, United States, uh, Mexico, and the Caribbean. Wow. So uh, Brooke, this is uh, the work you did in your sort of past life as a PhD, is that right? That was my past life. It feels like my current life because I still uh, teach, I work at the University of Waterloo. Um, so I haven't quite escaped that former life. Okay, because I think um, I, th I think you may be a, a first for our show here at GradCast and perhaps a, a, a currently still rare, but, um, but maybe your sort of population as a, as a species, if you will, is growing. You are someone who's completed a doctorate already and now you're back here at Western um, to, to do grad school again. Uh, could you tell us what, what are you doing here at Western? I'm uh, earning my master's in library and information science at FIMS. So I'm an MLIS candidate. I started in January uh, 2021 uh, part-time because I work. Um, so I do both coursework and then my teaching work. Um, so I'm back to try and earn that degree uh, to hopefully broaden some career opportunities. Okay, so given all that, um, would it be safe to say that uh, it's been perhaps a long and winding journey uh, from the beginning to here? And, and I guess, could you bring us to, to maybe the beginning? Like when you started your, uh, your PhD studies back in the day at Waterloo and, and like, could you take us through the, the story of how you came to be here with us today? Ugh. So that sounds like the never ending story of obsessed with academia and education. Um, but yes, going back in time, I started my PhD in 2012. So I had just come from my master's at the University of Victoria uh, in history and art. So I'm very interdisciplinary. So I, I study religion and art and material culture, popular culture and history. Um, and so I switched, I switched from uh, history and art, or I guess more commonly now, known as art history. Um, so yeah, so I came from UVic to uh, Waterloo to start my PhD in 2012. Uh, we had a year of coursework and then we had a, which included four required courses um, ranging from things like theory and method to uh, history of religion. Um, I did a sociology of religion. So those are at the PhD level. 
Um, and then we had a year of comprehensive exam um, prep, not really a year, sorry, you had like some months to prep and then you wrote your general comprehensive exam. And then you had a couple more months to prepare for your field exam. And these are written exams. Um, and then you have to defend your proposal. Um, so I did that in the summer of, I guess, 2014. Yeah. Um, so you defend your proposal and then you kind of are pushed off into the world to go do field work. And that is very different for a lot of people depending on their uh, focus. And so for me, a historian, I needed primary sources. So I went off and did field work uh, in the US. So I ended up doing about three, no, not about, I did three um, research trips to the US to archives, libraries, uh, historic sites. I did one trip to Alberta. Um, so that takes a while because you're also, you, you're earning funding to pay for those trips. Um, so you kind of go with the grant cycles. Um, and then you are writing and you write your dissertation and then you defend your dissertation. Um, you have to do a public defense as well. So it's like a public lecture. Uh, and then you have your actual defense with your committee and they tell you if you pass and you pass and you make some corrections and then you're done. Um, so that brings me to the end of the journey. Do you want me to keep going into <laughs> how I ended up here? <laughs> well, I, actually I was wondering, uh, could you tell us a little bit more about, you know, on these trips, that you took to, this, to the United States, to Alberta. Uh, what were you looking for? What sort of research were you doing? And, and could you tell us more about, I, I guess, the topic of your dissertation there? Sure. Um, so what was I looking for? I, thinking back, I probably didn't know what I really was looking for. And I think I got relatively lucky because I think a lot of people write their proposal, their dissertation proposal, um, and they have their research questions. They have probably a few, like a hypothesis. Uh, a working thesis maybe and then you get for me you get to the archive so i traveled to utah so i study newer religious movements and i my case study that i picked um, was the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints um, commonly called mormons they the mainstream church uh, in 2019 decided they didn't want to be referred to that so i will not be referring in to that but i just know that's the common popular mm -hmm. word that people know um, so latter-day saints so their headquarters are in Salt Lake City. So I traveled there. Um, and I also traveled just south of Salt Lake City to their university, so Brigham Young University for their special collections. Um, so the special collections at BYU in Provo and then the Church History Library, which houses all of the archives um, that they've collected from the start, uh, so from the early 19th century. Um, so I basically got there and I started pulling everything about Canada in my time period. And, and I don't, if you don't aren't familiar with this church, they're very record keeping people. And I'm serious. I, they keep records of everything, not just church related personal records, correspondences, diaries, oral histories. So I pulled everything that had Canada. Um, and I'm, I was reading meeting minutes, like meeting minutes from you don't even want to know like just every auxiliary organization <laughs> that the church has which is a lot um in the time period so 1887 to 1950 ish um yeah and that took three trips and it was a lot of microfilm microfiche and you know just scanning and i started noticing some themes and that's how i divided up my dissertation was thematically so i have a chapter on um architecture, I have a chapter on uh, politics and business, because I was really looking at how this group integrated when they got to Canada. So they eventually come to Canada from the US, 
And I was interested in what happens when a, a new, pretty controversial religion, if you just Google, you'll find why they're controversial. Um, what happens when they come to a new place and try to integrate? Um, or as I found, sometimes they resist integrating with mainstream society, which they did in the US, they still do. They do integrate, um, but they also keep some things that are quite unique to, to their um, culture and their religion. Um, so that's my chapters were really about that. So sites that they negotiated these um, practices, beliefs uh, on Canadian soil. So yeah, like gender was a chapter, families and marriage was another chapter. Uh, polygamy is a thing that I write about a lot. Um, yeah, did I answer your question? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I was just wondering about because when you first said you did field work, like I'm in science, I picture people like going into a stream and collecting fish or something like that. So I was just wondering, like how, like, so I guess you're talking about you actually had to go to historical sites and look at archives. How much is actually like looking through old books and how much is, I don't know, like, what do you do? Do you talk to different people? How do you conduct that that field work? That's a really good question because my colleagues do, I think what you imagined when I said field work. So some of my colleagues conduct interviews with participants or they do like survey. Um, so that's more of like a sociological anthropological method, like anthropo like sociology of religion type. And, and I am not talking to people. So I, right. I'm using the closest thing would be like oral histories that someone else recorded whereas I have colleagues who are kind of doing those oral histories now with their participants and I'm much more interested in uh older like the people that I study are no longer alive so right, I can't talk course. to them <laughs> yeah, yeah I can't talk to them in person um and I don't think I'd want to it's just not my interest like I I'm I'm interested in history the yeah. past um yeah so field work for me is going and collecting data in those books um, in, in the archive, the archive, which is a problematic term, but yeah, so, so definitely primary documents. Wait, what, why is archive a problematic term? It seems so just, you know, dry and stuffy. What could be like <laughs> odd about it? I don't know. I thought that I was being taught that the archive, capital T, capital A, ah. was a problematic um, concept only not only, but in part because we kind of put it on this pedestal where discoveries are made and, and that's not necessarily what we want to emphasize. Mm -hmm. Not that, so this idea that there's some sort of like perfect historical record out there to discover, to, to unearth perhaps, rather than uh, like a mishmash collection of things people left behind and stories and, and, and a bunch of things that's, that are, uh, sort of conspicuously not there in the preservation. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think so. That makes sense. And so is it a historian's dream or a historian's nightmare to have that much information? Like you said that they're ridiculous record keepers and you had to read everything. Is it too much of a good thing or do you like to have a, a big pile? Um, oh, I think it was a good thing. I think that it would have been worse if I had found nothing or not enough because a dissertation is is a long it's a book length thing you're writing so mm -hmm. you want to have a lot of material and a lot of things that I collected um, didn't go into the dissertation so I definitely had more and I probably could have been more selective with what I pulled um, from storage or even like some of the things that I 
that I that I did. So I photographed um, six cemeteries in southern Alberta because I was studying the built environment, and so I wanted to really see uh, grave markers and how they changed over time. Did I need to really photograph six cemeteries? Probably not, especially now with the technology that people are doing. So like there's websites like find a grave, like people have already done this, but you're not, I don't know, you're not really taught some of these things. <laughs> so you just go and do them. So I definitely over collected. Um, and I think for some people that is the dream. Well, I mean, with all this work, Brooke, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how did you choose this topic in the first place um, and you know coming from like you said uh, art in history into uh, religious studies and then with a focus on the Latter-day Saints in Canada um well there's like two parts to the story so one would be when my parents moved us to Alberta um, and and I saw the the Mormon or the Latter-day Saint temple in southern Alberta um, that architecture is quite uh, surprising for Southern, Southern Alberta. Um, and then when I got to the University of Victoria and I was studying art and religion, I, I took a course on, I think it was film, because I ended up doing a lot of like film and popular culture. And I had a prof who said, um, well, you know, Twilight was written by a Latter-day Saint. And I said, no way. And that just sent me off into a trajectory that went, you know, religion and popular culture, how do they, what is the relationship? Um, and so I, my master's was really looking at um, Latter-day Saint theology in Twilight um, and the translation from the, the novels, which were written by, a, you know, faithful Latter-day Saint woman, um, and then the translation into popular culture, into the films, because a lot of people absorb that, or they did in the past when it was popular. I mean, you might be too young. I don't know anyone's age. Um, but people really watched those and they have no idea some of the connotations that are being um, put out there. And so I was very interested in that. And then after the pop culture phase, um, I was really interested in Canada and, and more historical, like I'm still interested in popular culture. Um, I teach religion and film, um, but my research is just kind of switched. You get tired of, of to your topics and then you got to make a switch. and. I did. Okay, so so you, you've given us uh, a, an overview, I guess, of your your PhD story. I suppose there you said you know you started, you did a bunch of field work, you hunkered down, wrote a, a massive tome, uh, and then you successively defended and graduated. Um, what that that was a while ago. Well, at least a couple of years ago, you said, a couple right? Years. So yeah. So what what was uh, what was the story like between then and now? So I defended in 2018, and during my PhD, I had worked at the University of Waterloo Library um, for two years, uh, just part time uh, as like a library clerk, and I loved it. But it was definitely um, because I was a student that I could work there. So when I graduated, I couldn't work there anymore. And I was kind of sad because I loved the work. I loved working with students and, and faculty and staff. Uh, and I loved the library because I like research and I like books. Um, so I had to get a real job. And there weren't a lot of traditional academic postings at the time of my graduation. Um, and so I ended up working for an auction house. I was a historical researcher and writer 
like pretty close to after I, I defended. Yeah, I think I started, I defended in May, started working in July. So that was okay. Um, I did that for about eight or 10 months. Uh, and, and I saw posting for a sessional instructor at McMaster. And I just on a whim had applied to teach. It was just one course in religious studies and I got it. So I was like, oh, maybe things are turning around for like teaching. And, and I quit my um, auction house job because it was terrible pay. Like it wasn't, don't think that it was like a glorious job. It was not. Um, and I started teaching at McMaster. And then another job came up at Waterloo. So I switched over to Waterloo in the fall. Yeah, I'm just trying to keep the chain of events. I think that's how it happened. I, I switched from McMaster to Waterloo. And I, and I got a job at the library again. So I was a sessional instructor at Waterloo working part-time at the University of Waterloo Library. Um, Cause I think this would bring us to 2020, 2019, sorry, not 2020. Let me tell you about <laughs> 2020, 2019. So that was great. And then in 2020, um, COVID happens and I, my job at the library, the contract ends and no one's contracts are renewed because COVID, we're all remote online. That's okay. I'm teaching at McMaster. I'm teaching at Waterloo. Um, and I have full-time teaching load by combining the two. And then in the fall of 2020, um, the, the contracts changed kind of like, I thought there would be more teaching and then they didn't those, those postings did not happen. Um, and we can blame COVID, we can blame the academic job market, I don't know, budgets, whatever. But I realized that the, the sessional instructor uh, trajectory was not shifting to a full-time permanent uh, job anytime soon. It felt like it was possibly, and then really 2020 with the COVID happening it changed so I met with a mentor at the library and I said like are there any jobs coming back at the library what would I have to do to come back like teaching this is just not what I want anymore um the precarity the unknown is just not what I want and they said if you're really serious about the library you need to get your MLIS and I was like oh another degree like everyone's gonna kill me <laughs> the PhD should be the last thing right yeah. <laughs> and yeah. Um, but it's really not like, I know so many people who, ha who are going back either to get like a graduate certificate or a diploma or another degree on top of the PhD, because the teaching is just not there. Like you, you really can't, you can't depend on it. So a lot of us want, um, stability community, uh, and that's just not the life of an adjunct sessional instructor. So I applied, got in, started January 2021. So here I am um, still teaching part-time as I do the, the courses uh, part-time with hopes of, you know, I don't even need to be in an academic library. I will be anything like information management, records management, archives. Yeah, library would be great. I would love to be in a library, but that job market is also not great. So I do think that this additional degree will open up other avenues um, in research, info management, stuff like that. Okay. So you, um, oh. 
So you want to end up in a library that would be the dream. And I love libraries too. I love reading. I was just wondering, where do you see the future of libraries going with more things being online, people having to work remotely? What, what is going to be happening to the library, the building? What's going to be going on there in the future? Wow, what a, <laughs> what a terrifying question. Um, no, I think we'll always have libraries. I do not think libraries are going anywhere. They offer so many, so much more than just reading and books. And I think when people start talking about like what, what's the future of libraries, they're not realizing that there's so much more happening. Like my public library has a tool library, a seed library. They have services, they have public programming. Um, so many other things are going on in that space. And, and then and academic libraries, oh, they'll always be there because they offer, again, so much instructional support to professors. And that's just one tiny part of the academic library. But I'm not too concerned about the library. Um, I mean, I'm more concerned about budgets. That's mm -hmm. what I'm concerned about. Yeah, money, but, but yeah. not the institutions themselves. I'm very glad to hear you say that because I, my little, even just my public library down the road has given, like I got a piano book from there and they have a reptile hangout day thing. So that, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so Brooke, you said you're not afraid for libraries as an institution, but about budgets. Um, could you clarify that a bit? I think I'm more concerned about like the gig economy, um, part-time labor, um, temporary labor. So I feel like that's influenced by budgets. Uh, I can definitely see that in academia. Why are most of your instructors adjuncts? It's cheaper than a tenure track position where you have to pay full salary and benefits. And I think similarly, maybe in a public library that happens as well, where it's easier to have part-time, um, lots of part-time and not you know one full-time. Uh, I just see that that trend. And, and so that would be a concern, but I think they'll always be libraries. Mm -hmm. Okay, so basically you, you're, you're fearing and you are seeing sort of the same thing that happened to university uh, institutions also happening in the library field. Yeah, oh, wow. definitely. Like from the first course in, in library school, we started talking about like part-time labor and precarity. And I was like, oh no, like <laughs> this is such a similar thing. But I think it happens in other industries too. I just so happened to pick like two <laughs> great examples of precarity, part-time labor. So kind of out of the frying pan and into the fire sort of situation for you. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us what the best part of your day is? What makes you excited to go to work in the morning? Um, I really love working with students. Or do you mean go to my MLIS work? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because when you say work, I think of my paid work. Um, okay. The best part of going to work as an MLIS candidate uh, is just learning from my peers and making new connections with people. I've met so many different people, even online, we have a really strong network and community. And I've gotten involved with a lot of student groups, like student council and our academic librarianship group. It's been really good to be active in that community. Okay, then, uh, well, so the other half of the question. Uh, so what about your paid work? You, you said you're still teaching, uh, te teaching courses right now, right? That's right. <laughs> I'm at uh, the University of Waterloo right now. Um, and I'll, I, I think I'll be there till May, uh, enrollment dependent, but I teach 
primarily in this program. It's called Arts First. So it's all first year faculty of arts students at Waterloo. So faculty of arts is like, they combine social sciences and humanities and they just call it faculty of arts. So all faculty of arts students have to take these courses. So I teach a course, it's basically information literacy, uh, but it's called information and analysis. And I teach two sections of those right now. And in the past, I've taught in uh, religious studies and Canadian studies at the University of Waterloo too. Uh, what, what are Canadian studies? Because I'm Canadian and I took geography of Canada, <laughs> but what do, you, what do they study in, in Canada? The course that I taught uh, last year was called uh, Narratives of Canadian Identity. So, mm. so Canadian studies to me is like religious studies where you, you study something, so a topic, through different lenses, very interdisciplinary. And Canadian studies, I think, offers that uh, as well. Like, it's not just history, it's also sociology, geography, um, film, art. So yeah, to be Canadian studies is just like a very interdisciplinary way to study Canada, um, which is something I am interested in. So we looked at um, narratives of Canadian identity in literature, uh, film, and, and other things, I just can't remember. Okay, great. So we are uh, approaching the end of our time with you, Brooke. I'm, I'm so sorry. There's so many other questions that uh, I've been wanting to ask. But uh, before we leave, um, could I ask you what your, you know, ideal dream, maybe one, two, five years off in the future, where would you most like to be after you complete the MLIS program? What sort of position? Like the dream position, I guess if I was shooting for the stars would definitely be um, still higher education. So an academic library or admin, working with students is really the goal for me. I wanna continue working with students. So undergraduate and graduate students. Um, and, and that could be in the library and that would be great. Uh, so, so the goal I always say is working with students and that can be in, in many different ways, um, but shooting for the stars, I guess, yeah, an academic library position, whatever that is, circulation or as a quote unquote librarian, I would be thrilled. I would be thrilled to be uh, a library clerk, put me on a circulation desk. Uh, I, I love that, I love, I love that work, so. Okay, so I mean, in case anyone in a hiring capacity is listening to us right now, uh, do you have a presence online on social media that you'd like to shout out and they can uh, look over and see how great you are? Sure, you can connect with me on Twitter at Brooke Broussard. Awesome, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Brooke. It was really great to hear about your work and more about your world. It's it's fascinating and I and I love everything that you said. So this has been GradCast, the official radio show and podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at Western University. I've been your host, Emily Hutchinson, and my co-host was Yimin Chen. We've been speaking with Brooke Bassard, and this episode was produced by Ariel Frame. If you'd like to be involved with the show or get in contact with us, you can email us at gradcastradio at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at GradCast Radio. To listen to us, we're on Radio Western 94.9 FM, and you can find all of our, our episodes on our website at gradcast.ca or wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and have a great night. Bye.